If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. On a hot air balloon starting in Savannah, take people that can't leave their beds or their wheelchairs and take them on the trips that they've always wanted to go. We go to the Amazon and then we go to Venice, Italy and then Great Wall of China and over to Northern Lights. What you've just heard, multiple award-winning new media artist, VR evangelist and educator Carrie Yarborough describe is just one of numerous projects her students have created in her groundbreaking class, VR for Good. Terry is the co-owner and creative director of design firm Magica, as well as owner and president of Savannah-based Magica VRX. And among the courses she teaches at Savannah College of Art and Design is VR for Good, in collaboration with Hospice of Savannah. Under Terry's direction, her students create virtual reality experiences for patients and caregivers. The following podcast is for informational purposes and is not intended as medical advice. Please contact a healthcare professional with any medical questions. Terry, before we get to talking about this amazing class that you have, I would love to know, as a multiple award-winning media designer, filmmaker, and graphic artist, how did you first discover virtual reality? Wow. I've been exploring the idea of immersion in my art, in my installation work and painting. The more immersed I am as a painter or fine artist, the more there's a visceral response from my audience. And there was an aha moment. We were in a show called Currents New Media in Santa Fe, and we had put together a piece called Vibrant Portal. And when I say we, I work with my partner, Max Almy, who's a new media artist, video artist, and is the dean of the School of Digital Media here in SCAD. But in any case, we had created Vibrant Portal. And what Vibrant Portal is, it was a piece of copper that was three feet by seven feet. And I had designed this sacred geometry pattern in it. And then that got water jet cut. So you were seeing through it. And behind it, we had an LED screen and the surface of the copper was patinated. It was a really wild process. And then in the foreground, it had interactive projections. So you could come up and move your hands and trigger the projections. This was quite a phenomenon at the current show because people wanted to play with this interactive installation and they would shoot selfies with it. And they would set up chairs in front of it and meditate with it and it just... It was quite a um, extraordinary thing to observe how much people wanted to be involved, immersed inside, if you will, a light sculpture. And that led me to think we should make something that's completely immersive. We should make a virtual reality project. And I had this idea of putting somebody in like a shower of light, you know, just taking what was going on in Vibrant Portal and making it something that you could stand under and experience. So that really is what started it for me. And we collaborated with a very talented programmer in Savannah, Josephine Leong, and we created Radiance VR. And Radiance had 5,250 particles of light that fell on you. 
And as you stood there, they gathered below your feet and formed the same sacred geometry fate diagram, if you will. It came out of a, a sacred geometry pattern. It formed the same pattern as your feet, and then it rose up again. So it was and I would wholeheartedly recommend, I have only seen Radiance in your presentation on VMED 22, but I did get the opportunity to see some of your earlier work on YouTube. My personal favorite is Lotus. That is absolutely gorgeous. I just made a screen recording of Radiance. You know, it's very hard to duplicate what's going on in VR just using, you know, flat screen technology. You know, it's a translation, something that's completely immersive in 360 to making it playable on a flat screen. And I will be updating our website. We have a website, maxalmi-terryyarbro.com, that has a lot of our early artwork on it. And but it doesn't have any of the VR. That's been really a challenge. I can't imagine how you would ever translate that, but maxalmi-terryyarbro.com, spelling the last name Y-A-R-B-R-O-W, for people that would like to see Radiance, and I absolutely would love to see it. Fast forward to today where you have this incredible class about which you were speaking at VMED 22, VR for Good. Would you tell me the story of creating that, please? Sure. So when we showed Radiance at the museum, the response was overwhelming. And there was a number of people that came up and some of them might have had an aversion to technology. They didn't. They were like, we went through like six Oculuses, little kids, older kids, but people said to me, I'm not afraid to die, you know, after standing in the shower of light. And I thought, that's very powerful. And at the time I was creating end-of-life experiences for people at hospice. And somebody wanted to skydive at hospice that was, you know, in stage four cancer. And they weren't a candidate for it. So we found some skydiving experiences. And, and so I showed them radiance. And that was kind of like the light bulb moment that it would be great start making experiences for people that, you know, were suffering, people that had long-term conditions and were in palliative care, and of course, people in hospice. So I teach a class at SCAD, it's called the Immersive Revolution. And it's just, you make things, it's, it's everything about VR and AR, you know, it's a big survey of everything that's going on. and. When we got to medical, I noticed that my students were saying, we could make stuff that looks so much better than this, you know, because we'd be seeing some of the things that perhaps hospitals were doing. And SCAD is a really well-known creative university with an award-winning gaming and interactive department. So I said, okay, I'm game. <laughs> so we wrote for a grant to the Davis Foundation and we received funding. And that is what started VR for Good, the class. We're in our third year now. And the first class had mostly freshmen and sophomores and a, maybe a one or two juniors. And they're very ambitious. And so we created three projects. One was called Born to Rome, which is a bucket list adventure and it's more passive. And that project, students created like a hot air balloon. And then we found really great footage on a hot air balloon starting in Savannah. You know, it take people that can't leave their beds or their wheelchairs and take them on the trips that they've always wanted to go. 
So they, we start in Savannah and we go to the Amazon and then we go to Venice, Italy and then Great Wall of China and over to Northern Lights. So it's a very, very heartfelt kind of piece. The second project we created in that class was called Nalu Heart of the Ocean, which is an underwater, half passive, half mildly interactive. If you can move your hand, you can affect seagrass. You can affect puffer fishes as they come to you and so forth. And sea bubbles, all your hand. It's really sweet. And then the third project was for more mobility challenge people. It was called Apples and Ant Hill. And you could go to a farm, a family picnic, and you could groom a horse or pick apples or roast marshmallows. It was a very nostalgic kind of project, taking people back to the family picnic or farm. A lot of these themes came from discussions with doctors. What do patients want to do? Terry says, as the 10-week VR for good class starts, the student's work begins with research. The first thing we did is we just surveyed hospice and palliative. What's the difference, you know, and, and what do people want to do? And for our process at SCAD, we usually do a period of discovery where we're able to interview people and hear it firsthand from them. But with hospice and palliative care, um, with COVID and some of the restrictions that we've been encountering, the interviews have happened to be with nurses and volunteer coordinators and palliative doctors themselves and Kathleen Benton, who's the CEO of hospice. So the students have interviewed staff. And from your observations, what do your patients want to do? And so that's the first thing we do is a process of discovery. From that very first VR for Good class, if there were one landmark experience that stood out in your memory, what would that be? The first year, everything went on in Zoom. So that was pretty interesting. Nobody saw each other. I think that seeing it for the first time in VR was the landmark moment because up until that point, you're seeing assets, you're seeing storyboards, you're hearing the ideas for music composition, you're hearing script ideas, but it's the first time somebody plugged their Oculus Rift into their computer and assigned that to be the, the input on Zoom and they put it on and you could see what they were seeing across 20 students scattered around the world. That was pretty amazing to be able to, to have a developer's view during the pandemic of work in progress from the point of view of VR. That was Nalu. And for Terry, the project has its roots in her personal experience. I really think that what I learned from making Radiance, my second piece I made is called Imminence. It's of the tree of life. And I'm working on one called Transcendence now. I really think that we can take people and who have anxiety about passing and we can transform their relationship with their mortality. So that's a tall thing to say, but there's a lot of psychiatrists that are you know, testing solutions for people that are, you know, approaching their end of life experience. I think we can transform the end of life experience. I became interested in all of this because of my mother who was in hospice like 15 years ago. So there was no spiritual support. 
you know, really at the end, and there wasn't VR, sure. I took your favorite music, which was opera, and I put it on an iPod, you know, so she was listening to like the music she loved as she was making her transition. And that gave me this idea, wow, we could really make these wonderful experiences for people to help them with this end of life journey. So I feel like this is a really powerful tool for transforming the end of life experience. I'm very much impressed that you had students on Zoom creating all this stuff in collaboration because you look at that from the outside and you think, how in the world did they ever do that? Was there any one moment that, whoa, this challenge is incredible? Or did those students just say, we can do it and power right through? Oh, no. We had many nights, you know, late night. The students ran a Discord 24-7 and... That was really powerful and it was also really productive because some of the students who had siblings at home that weren't in school, the siblings were bouncing off the walls. You know, They wanted to be part of it too. But in any case, so when technical things came up and they came up, we would be up late at night trying to troubleshoot. You know, How can we improve this? What extra resources can we pull in? We had a former alumni joined the project to try to help with some of the modeling concerns and 3D animation. Yeah, it, when you're in production, things come alive, you know, and you just don't know what turn they're going to take. Is it going to be a beautiful baby? You know, is the baby going to need some support? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were some of the ways that it came alive that you didn't expect, maybe even better than you envisioned? Well, let's see. The second year project we called it the immersive therapy studio instead of VR for good, but it's all under the banner of VR for good. So the second year, those projects were pretty amazing. We had three, one was called Lumino and it was based on Tai Chi and breathing. And when you breathe, the environment would breathe with you. That was pretty amazing. And your hands followed Tai Chi patterns, you know, to kind of encourage people to do upward mobility. The other project, there was one project in particular that really affected me. It was called Bird Feed. And this was based on a conversation with the palliative care doctors who they did speak about patients wanted a normal life. They wanted to return to normal activities. They wanted to be able to go outside in their gardens and observe birds and feed birds. And so the students designed a huge project around this idea. It had a lot of modules, not the kind of thing you can get done in 10 weeks. That's really kind of the challenge of this. We have, we're on a quarter system, so it's nine weeks it has to be done, and the 10th week you take it to patients. So bird feed became just about creating a low country garden with beautiful trees and a collection of Southern birds. Because we, after all, we are in the South, and our population is here for the moment. So bird feed used two things that were really noteworthy. One was artificial intelligence or machine learning. And then the second is haptic technology. And haptics is, of course, feeling the bright vibration of something. A little pulse on your hand or sometimes haptics can blow on you. But in this case, the haptics you feel in bird feed is like a little vibration on your hand. So in bird feed, you would 
reach into a bag of seeds and hold your hand out and the artificial intelligence would call a bird and it would land on your hand. And there was a number of birds in the play. So you didn't get the same one twice. <laughs> and when it lands, you feel something and then you can pet it and it turns around and looks at you. That made me cry. That was for me the aha moment of that project because I felt like technology could be such a powerful force for good, you know, and, you know, a lot of times there's haptic technologies in, in war games, you know, you put on a vest and when you get shot, you can feel it, you know, in VR. And that's a lot of people really like that, but to use it for something as simple as feeding a bird and making somebody feel the joy of it, that was pretty profound. What's amazing is the magic dimension. Listening to you describe that gave me chills, and I've seen this. It is incredible. What about the patients themselves? You got to take the experience to them week 10, and what kinds of reactions did you get? The day that we went to, we went to Hospice Savannah on the last day of class, and the third project was Spirit of Africa, a bucket list safari. And the reason I mention this is, one of the patients in hospice, he really wanted to go to Africa. So he was super delighted. And there's a scene in Spirit of Africa where a herd of elephants comes down and they cross in front of your safari buggy. I mean, you're in like a tricked out Jeep. You know, there's a pith helmet next to you and you're sitting and you're going, it's almost like a Disney ride. So the elephants cross in front of you and but one of the elephants is a baby and it comes walking towards your where you're seated and it's on the side of your open air window and it was so real to this patient he reached out to touch it and knocked over everything on his tray table <laughs> oh that's endearing as well as a little humorous bless his heart what's your class currently doing with vr for good they are creating one experience. It's a small, really focused class. So we have a team of six students and they're creating a bioluminescent cave that you're going to go in. And one of my patients that I'm seeing right now has ALS and he, you know, he can't use his hands. So the students were very interested in developing an interface where you could use your head and eye gazing to trigger your choices, you know, to give you agency in a game environment. So they've named it Lompsi, which is the Greek word for shine or light. And Lompsi starts, you go into a bioluminescent cave and there's a lot to see in there and where you look, bioluminescent lights up. And if you look at the water, it activates it. And then when you're ready to move forward, right now we're trying to decide what the device will be that you look at that tells you, okay, you've chosen, you've made a choice, now we're going to move forward. And you're sitting in like a fantasy-like gondola. And then once you go through the cave experience, you'll be on a beach. And on the beach, there's a scene, it's kind of similar to some things that they do at hospice. They have a circle of light ceremony. When you're on the beach, you can put your intentions into a sky lantern and release it. 
And you're doing all of that with your eyes. That is going to be absolutely breathtaking. When do they finish this? And is it possible for people to see it online? Yeah, the, well, I just got after them today. I was like, you have to have this done by the ninth week. <laughs> ninth week, we have to show it to the patients. So school is out June 3rd. So that week, we have to have it ready. It's time. And it's hard when you're working with students because when the quarter's over, they're in new classes. In this case, when the quarter's over, they're going on summer break. So we really must have this done. When we look forward here, this is for the hospice patients, but will there also be a way for people to access it in the future through their Oculus or whatever headsets? Well, I would like that. You know, Oculus has a very lengthy policy and process for making work available. There is something called SideQuest. Do you know what that is? No, but what is that? Okay, so SideQuest is if you are a registered developer with Oculus or Meta, then you can access something called SideQuest. And SideQuest is full of all kinds of experiences and games and meditations and some are free and some you pay for it's it's like a side store it's where people that you know haven't been necessarily approved or gotten the go-ahead from oculus they'll put it on side quest so that's another way that people can see things i don't know what's going to happen with this we want it to be we want it to be ready What's one of the most important things you have learned and one of the most important ways you've grown as an artist in mentoring these students? Well, patience and patience and that there's always a solution. There's always a solution. And also testing things early. You know, if you're attempting to do something that has, you know, some technical demands to it, test it early so that if it's not going to work out, you can pivot early, you know, because what happens is after midterms, it's like a race to the finish. So finding out, like right now we're testing head tracking and eye gazing, and we have a freshman who's a really brilliant programmer. So he's made it work. And when I see somebody that young and that ambitious and that capable, it's amazing. So we're testing early. That's my, that's my mantra right now. We do have an event coming up that's kind of interesting that the class is going to do. Hospice has a thing, it's called Camp Aloha, and it's a three-day camp for kids who have lost somebody, either a parent or a grandparent or a best friend, or and they're in a state of grief. And so we're going to take VR to Camp Aloha on a Saturday and you know, set up a number of experiences for grieving children. The demographics this year for Camp Loa is 7 to 16. That's early in life for these kids to have that to deal with. Wow. What an amazing thing you're doing. In five more years, Terry, where would you like to be with VR for Good? If everything that you say right now comes true and it happens for you, what happens? I'm really interested in creating experiences, whether it's with students or with students that have graduated. I want to create a pipeline. I want to create a number of prescriptive experiences so that 
If you need something for anxiety, we have it. If you need something for pain reduction, we have it. If you need something to enhance quality of life, we have it. So I want to create a prescriptive library of experiences that other hospices can use, other hospitals can use, home care. The other thing I want to create is an app that is playback for home care workers to be able to set something up for a patient, play this twice, voice activated. So if the patient said next, it goes to the next experience. Right now, every time, let's take my ALS patient, you know, his muscles aren't holding his head up any much. So it's like this a lot of the time. Your lean and the wheelchair got it has something that holds his head up a bit. But every time I want to change what he's watching, I have to take the headset off his head, start it, and put it back on his head, and then rotate it just right so that it fits him. If we could do that remotely and have that kind of access, yeah. So creating experiences, creating apps, then having a whole library of titles that are available. What resources have you really especially liked in creating virtual reality? What really helps with you and the students when you're making these experiences to model what you need and create what you need? Well, we've been using Unreal Engine, which is, you know, game engine, and that's a way to put the whole thing together and see it. So that's been really, really helpful. Right now in my class, I have a student that's she doesn't know Unreal, but she's an incredible artist. So she's doing everything on her iPad. And pre-visualization is a really important, I think it's a really important step in moving towards a high quality product. You know, really, this is what this scene is going to look like. This is what the mood looks like. This is what the lighting looks like. So those are, real, you know, just really good art direction and good pre-visualization. You can't go wrong with that. And finally, Terry, if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from you and what you're doing right now with VR for Good? I think that, well, one thing I know is that our brains have neuroplasticity. What that means is they can learn. You've had a stroke, your brain can recover because it has neuroplasticity. If one learns, one is given a kind of therapy and learning early on, not two weeks after an incident like that. So I think that the future is immersive. I think that immersive medicine is like the next next big thing. And I think that it takes our brains 30 seconds to believe that something is real. So if you're in a VR environment and you're, let's say you've had a stroke and one side of you has left side neglect, but you're looking and an avatar of yourself, and it's showing you your left side working, your brain is rewiring itself. It's sending a neurological impulse. So I really believe because it takes 30 seconds for your brain to believe this, people can overcome amazing things. They're using it to teach paraplegics to walk. And there's a project called the Walk Again Project. It's pretty amazing where people are given work, therapy, in exoskeleton suits, but twice a week, they're also being shown their feet moving in conjunction with this walking, and that is reprogramming the brain to see it. 
And a lot of these paraplegics have been reclassified. So it's an amazing area. And we are real, we're just at the beginning of it. So I'm excited about the possibilities. Terry, thank you for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. You and I have been listening to Terry Yarborough, new media artist, VR evangelist, owner and creative director of Magica VRX and co-owner of Magica Design Company, as well as professor of digital communication and immersive media at Savannah College of Art and Design. Check out Terry's work online at maxalmi-terryyarborough.com, spelling Terry's last name Y-A-R-B-R-O-W. Again, that is maxalmi-terryyarborough.com. Also, take a look at magicavrx.com for updates on Terry's work with immersive therapy. Magicavrx.com, spelled M-A-G-I-K-A, vrx.com. And if you'd like to know more about Savannah College of Art and Design and their immersive media classes, you'll find more information at scad.edu. The preceding podcast was for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please contact a healthcare professional with any medical questions. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at Two Mavericks. Dot com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.